live tonight, back on a Tuesday. Look, last week we had to push it off a week. I was not feeling well. You guys were all super dope about that. This week we're starting a little late. Some technical problems, but guess what? Rain, sleet, snow, shine, the world ending, Trevor Lawrence potentially being done through the fantasy playoffs. Doesn't matter. We're here for you on Dynasty Points. It's Tuesday night. There's nowhere you'd rather be, which is why you're sitting down tuning in. If you're listening to this on your podcast, make sure to rate and review five stars goes a long way. helps us out. And if you haven't already hit subscribe, like leave a comment on the video itself. Let us know what rookie you're happiest having rostered in 2024. Of course, we don't know everything, but what we do know is how to have a great time. And you should too. Fantasy football should be fun. This season, though, has felt a lot like Christian Kirk experienced last year. A giant hit to the groin. Seems like every week, at least one player that we're all counting on is falling to the injury bug. And it sucks, but that's fantasy. Jacob, you have been team Trevor Lawrence. He is finally starting to break out here towards the end of the year. There's going to be a a buying opportunity for Trevor Lawrence, which I'm sure you're going to be quite happy with. Uh, also, uh, shout out BV. Has a stream started? Yes. Is a stream still happening? Suspense? Yes. Uh, Toronto Dave here. Andy Starr says he was first. He was. Fantastic. Christian Kirk analogy on point. Shout out to everyone hopping with us early. What? Oh, it, losing AR really hurts. Trust me. We know. We definitely know. Tonight is going to be a fun show. It's going to be a phenomenal time. Like it always is. We are going to answer two questions that were asked of us in the Discord relating to the 2023 rookie class. And then we are going to go in and we are going to break down how we feel about the 2023 rookie class heading into... 2024 and i'll set that up a little bit later also update jacob made a bit of a fucking run last week in the player picks he is not that far behind uh, thanks to ryan heath uh who politely handled your player picks jacob. the guest picker who did he get uh i've deleted it already it was massive uh, i yeah, kept watching massive. all the scores on sunday and it's like well, uh, didn't see that coming. I mean, I'm just gonna leave the show. I'm, I'm not, I don't know why I came back. I'd be better off if I just gave the spot to Ryan on a permanent basis. <laughs> Ryan absolutely um, crushed it. And apologies to people, uh, for, for two reasons one, why we're late, uh, and two, um, if my sound is quite poor. For those who unfortunately caught the DFS podcast last week, it seems like my computer and mic are not getting along. I tried a couple things, still seem to not be working. We're trying some more things. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm currently our interim solution is I am podcasting from my phone. So I'm here. I'm not going to say things twice. So the audio, I guarantee you will be better than it would have been. It's probably just a little bit uh, fuzzy, but I think that's probably manageable. Yeah. I mean, these things happen in broadcasting. So we look, if you sit in tight with us, it'll be well worth it. Believe me, if you can't see Jacob right now, he's still podcasting this, even though he looks like a prince awaiting his damsel in distress. Um, but he's here. He's locked in. I think we go 
right into it because I can't side tangent on the Justin Field stuff that has been going on in my timeline because we'll be here for an hour. Uh, so if you want to look that up, go at El Nostra Thomas on Twitter. It's been quite a ride. Let's hop in right with the Discord questions because I feel like these are what really fuel. It's questions that you guys wanted to know about. You asked us and we will give you an answer. So let's cue the asking the question music and get right into this. First off, Huskers rule. Hashtag dynasty points. What change are you making in your draft process for outliers that have happened this year? Examples, Tank Dell, smaller wide receiver, small school prospect with low draft capital, Puka Nakua, low draft capital with a scouting profile that wasn't very good. Josh Down, smaller wide receiver, low draft capital. All of the tight ends from this class in brackets, tight ends don't produce their first year. Do we adjust our scouting metrics or are these guys just true outliers? I'll start with Jake. Uh, it's tough. It's tough for sure. I think the first thing we want to try and always figure out when we get in this spot is like, is this music just going to go the entire time? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh my God. Um, this is like podcasting on expert mode as I try not to be distracted by the music. Um, Okay, this is actually gonna drive me crazy. I got. I got so it. I think the Sorry. thank thank the Lord. Okay, <laughs> I think that the number one thing to try to determine is like, okay, is this actually an outlier prospect profile, or you know, is there something that we missed, right? And I mean, it's not always binary. Like even among things that we think are a long shot, there's longer shots and longer shots, right? Like Tinkdale, round three pick, um, did have production. It was late. Was it a you know, a high possibility that we'd get what we would get? I think no. I think it's less shocking and we'll see more prospects like that hit than like Puka, who is, you know, a day three pick, did not have nearly that production profile. The one thing I will say is just like, I've seen people make the case for, you know, these guys of like, okay, this proves that this heuristic doesn't matter or this proves that we need to focus more on this. Like with Puka, for instance, his per route stats are pretty interesting. Um, what I would say is that like, Yes, and yes, probably any time that we get a quote-unquote outlier that hits, there will probably be like some type of heuristic that is right a lot and wrong often that fails in that case, right? That's almost guaranteed. And there's also going to be some under-the-radar thing that, that people are like, well, if we had just focused on this, we would have hit that player. And it's like, yeah, that probably is why that player hit, right? Like, depending on who it is, it's for Amon Ross St. Brown, it was, oh, you know, he was a guy who was actually a really strong analytical prospect, but who just was drafted late. And he would have been a better analytical prospect if he was drafted earlier. So why don't we just throw out, you know, those profiles? Well, because then he draft Tyler Johnson or, you know, David Bell, for instance, really benefited from Amon Ra, where he's a guy who's kind of similar. Poor athleticism, great early production, falls in draft capital. People are like, yeah, but look at Amon Ra. So we take him really early. He does absolutely nothing. Um, you know, Chase Claypool's like, well, what if you just take the athletic guy, right? And then he doesn't even work, but there's other guys. Point being, like, I don't think as though, like, if we take every Puka profile where it's like, well, we just got to focus on the per route target earning. It's like that, that's not going to necessarily actually work every time. I think probably the biggest thing that I would focus on is like odds of getting hitting massively on the outliers, on the outliers in the rookie drafts, not going to be super high. That's why they're outliers. The one thing that we do kind of have control of is how quickly we 
react to them. Yeah. And for both Puka and Tank Dell, like after they came out and had these like stud games, we still had windows where they were uh, pretty attainable for less than a first in a lot of places. And that's probably where I would look is like, don't really focus so much on the difference between like a second round pick and a fourth round pick. Like once we're in rookie drafts, we're, we're really just taking shots basically outside the first round. So don't feel bad about immediately offering a second for someone who was worth a fourth. Like if you can get a guy who looks like he's a potential star or even just a starter for a second, because other people want to take the quick profit, do that. That's almost always available to us. Um, and so that's, that would be what I would stress probably is like, if you miss out on those guys at the dirt cheap prices, you still usually have a chance to get them at not super expensive prices. Some of that comes down to being afraid to missing though. If you send that pick and then that guy's first three games were pretty much all he produces and then you're, you know, shit out of luck. Right. Um, but so much of that is just loss aversion. Like, like yes. I don't think anyone feels all that bad when they bomb a second round pick. Like, look, you take, okay. So if you take like Sky Moore in the first round or Traylon Burks in the first round like that, or Jameson or whatever, like that feels bad. That kind of sticks with you for a while. Like, I don't really think there's anybody out there that's being like, oh my God, like I spent the two six on Tank Bigsby and it's a bust. Like how will my team ever recover? Like, I think everybody kind of knows in their mind that when you're making second round rookie picks, like you're you're just kind of hoping to hit on net, but you're almost certain to just brick half of them or more. So yeah. to me, it's like, you know, you send a second round pick for the guy who flashed right away instead of the rookie. It's like, yeah, it could fail, but like your second round pick is pretty, pretty likely to fail anyway. So you're just kind of finding out sooner and you're just making a slightly different bat. You're hoping it's a slightly better bat. So I wouldn't be afraid of, you know, Oh, I wasted my second on nothing. It's like, yeah, well, you probably you, there's a decent chance you're going to do that anyway. So I wouldn't really worry too much about losing in in a more acceptable way than losing in like a quote unquote riskier way. I think it to me it comes down to you want second round picks in terms of is it going to change my process? The changes to my process is going to be being more open to taking even more dart throws. I want to acquire more and more of these second round picks more than I was previously to just take more and more shots. And also I will say I got closed minded last year in my rookie drafts. I went, I'm not drafting these wide receivers. I'll take these running backs. These running backs will be more valuable in the end. And I, I just went running backs and tight ends. The tight ends worked out even mayor and Musgrave They've worked out for what we kind of expected them to do. And then obviously the Kincaids and Limportas have absolutely crushed beyond what we were expecting. Sure. But the running backs haven't done jack squat. So I think what I'm going to be doing more is focusing more on ambiguous situations more than like this player. I think he's really good. He can overcome. I think I'm going to, because Tank Dell had a very ambiguous situation in Houston. Who do you have to beat? Robert Woods, Noah Brown, Nico Collins. Nico boomed, sure. We talked with Scott Barrett at great length about John Mechie versus Nico Collins. Well, it could have been John Mechie. It just happened to not be. At the end of the day, it was Tank Dell, right? And now, obviously, Nico Collins blowing up as well because CJ Stroud is that good. But it was an ambiguous situation. Like we talk about attacking running backs, tight ends, and backup quarterbacks with that, the biggest change in my process is going to be attacking wide receivers the same way. If it's an ambiguous situation, go for it. Puka Nakua, who do you have to beat out? 
Tutu Atwell and Van Jefferson. Uh, yeah, I absolutely should have taken more shots on him for sure. Um, so that's going to be my biggest change. I, like you said, I don't think anything changes in how I view the prospects. I don't think how it's not the same where it's like, okay, I was out on Chris Olave because he was a late declare and yada, yada, yada. He just ended up being a baller. I've changed that. It's not going to be that drastic of a change in how I look at people and what I knock them for as more as just an adjustment of my general um, perception of players in ambiguous situations. Hopefully that makes sense. Lucas. I mean, I think you're in the nail around the head right now. Uh, coming into the season, players like Evan hole were really, really popular. Uh, Chase Brown was extremely popular. He ended up getting into the top end of the second round uh, in your rookie drafts just because of some of that ambiguity of contract situation. And everybody thought, oh, Joe Mixon's gone. They don't want to pay an aging running back like that. It's just he was still on the roster. Same thing in Indianapolis. Jonathan Taylor, at least at that point in time, was still on the roster. But I... I'm not going to be upset about taking those shots because the payoff, if Joe Mixon got cut, was going to be massive if Chase Brown ended up being in your lineups. There was this is all speculation, of course. You know, this is an alternate universe where he's cut or where Zach Moss doesn't, you know, come out and be the RB five overall through the what the first ten weeks or so. Uh there are scenarios where they are worth a future first round pick or multiple future seconds. I'm fine with that. We'll still take our shots on those high upside situations. The situations where players can really establish themselves like you were just talking about. So still maintaining that process. Uh, really do wish I did have more Puka Nakua. Just one of those players who kind of fell through the crack for me uh, this season. But, you know, we'll, we'll get them next year. Should have listened to Brett Whitefield earlier. Because there was nobody, nobody that I saw on Puka earlier than Brett Whitefield. I know to follow the beautiful bald man himself with this rookie breakdown. So next year, Brett, I'm going to listen. Trust me. Question number one, anything to add, Jacob? No? I'm good. All right, let's go. Question number two. From Dr. Chris Danzo, how aggressively are you going to be with buying tight end from this class? Laporta and Kikade have been solid, if not fantastic. Given the current tight end landscape, are you willing to move serious assets for them, even if they're likely close to their ceiling prices, or buy lower on Mayer and Musgrave? Or the third option, I guess, is to see if you can get mid-range vets like Schultz because the talent gap is too far between the tiers and try to move into position for next year. That's another good question. Jacob? Yeah, I'm struggling a little bit with how to react to some of these tight ends. Um, I can't remember if it was this show or a different show um, that I was on where I was just sort of talking structurally about like you know, we've, we've seen these tight ends break out and trying to take that long view of like, you know, how, how, because when we've seen some of these tight ends break out in the past, like a Kittle or an Andrews or a Kelsey, 
they've come on the scene pretty differently just in the ways that they've won in terms of operating more closer to wide receiver depths, operating a lot more versatility. Now, Laporta has done that a little bit more, certainly more than Kincaid and McBride has done a little bit more, which is why I currently have Laporta and um, McBride up above Kincaid. Kincaid is a particularly tough one to me because it's been so much short area work. And I guess it's just like my theory of, you know, really how offense would operate is like, I don't think offenses would prefer to be operating just consolidating targets on short depths of the field long-term. Like that feels like kind of a reactive way to play offense to what defenses are trying to take away with the explosives. And so I think my like half-baked takeaway from that is if there's this kind of structural bend that's leading to tight ends that historically based on their deployment would have been kind of producing back-end tight end one numbers are now those that kind of archetype of tight end is now producing like top end tight end numbers. Like, do we want to buy the top? Because to me, is it like how much of it is this player doing this versus how much of it is like a adequate player in a great situation with the backing of this kind of trend that's happening right now. And I, and I wonder like, you know, the youngest ones with the highest pedigree are always going to be the ones that people are going to read into the most because they're going to see that as the most indicative of their talent. And in many cases, it probably is. And in other cases, like, are, are we paying for the top of their career, even though they're very young, and we're not going to necessarily get that development? And in fact, we could even get a downturn. Would I rather sort of spend down to try and get access to similar bets cheaper? And I think that's probably where I land a little bit with Kincaid. I think I am still more bullish on Laporta and McBride where we've seen a little bit more of that downfield usage. And I think I've just seen more like, frankly, just like eyeball aspects to where I've just been a little bit more impressed by some of their ball skills. Um, I do think Mayer is like a priority buy. I think he's showed a lot in a more limited opportunity in a much worse environment where if that changes, I, I think he's a guy that really has an opportunity to step up. Um, and, and frankly, I think to do a lot of the football things, the other guys can, but I, I, I don't want to be like ignorant of the perspective, especially in a very short term of like, look, all this stuff is like cool and interesting to talk about. And we could have like a chat around the fireside, but right now I have the opportunity to get a really young tight end who can score 15 points a game. Like that's like a totally fair perspective. Um, and I think maybe sort of my macro thoughts on this are better served for the off season, Versus if you're like at a trade deadline and you need a tight end right now, like, you know, Laporta, Kincaid, and McBride, I, I don't imagine are going to have any value loss in this offseason versus what they have right now. They're locked into pretty strong roles, so they're pretty safe buys. Yeah, I I think I'm I'm gonna be probably the bigger different biggest difference on this. I'm just buying. Um I'll buy Laporta. I'm less willing to buy on Kincaid, which might seem a little weird to me uh, or uh, weird to others. I should say I'm less interested in Kincaid. I think he is very good. That offense and how it's run. I, I mean, I'm buying him regardless, but I'm less willing in terms of the other ones. Like Sam Laporta is somebody I want on my roster. He will be tight end one for me. Pretty quickly. I mean, I have Kincaid there now, but I haven't updated these in a while. I've been kind of going back and forth. They're 1A, 1B to me, but I like Laporta more. Uh, I want McBride over, again, we talked before, I would trade McBride for Andrews straight up, still would do that. McBride is being used as a top 
eight wide receiver right now. Like his numbers are absolutely insane. It's Kyler. It's the system. And he's just good. He's athletic enough to get open. He can win down the field, play action, chipping. They can do a whole bunch of things with him. He's an end zone threat. He's just a great player. We knew he was good in his rookie year, and he was just free almost all offseason because he didn't have the year one breakout game. He had to beat Zach Ertz out. So if you looked at the usage of Zach Ertz and went, well, if Trey McBride ever gets his job, like it's going to succeed to a higher level. And in my opinion, he has. That was my thought process for it. So I'm buying the McBrides. I know he wasn't part of the rookie class, but in terms of the young tight ends, I am buying all of them. I am also prioritizing Mayer because I think you're right. I think I see Mayer's rookie year a lot like I see McBride's um, with usage and piss poor situations, etc. So I'm going to be buying him the same way I bought McBride. I think we are finally in a young tight end um, bliss right now. And I don't want to jinx it, but I think I would prioritize all of these guys over the vets, over Kittle, Goddard, Ingram, Schultz, Ferguson, and Joku. All of those guys, I would take all of the younger guys very quickly. It's when you get to Mark Andrews and Kelsey and Hawkinson that I kind of wane off and even Kyle Pitts in a way you're going to be able to buy Kyle Pitts and you should be doing that you absolutely should be doing that he counts as well I love all these guys I'll even add Pat Fryermuth. I'm buying all of the 25 and under tight ends it I'll buy all of them I just think they're all very good and they can all be that 12 to 14 point per game tight end Fair oh, enough. I saw Jacob kind of half wanting to disagree with me through some of that. So. No, I was I was nodding. Um, yeah. I've been uh, I was I think I was I was ninety percent listening to your great points, and I was ten percent um, finishing the stages of my computer update that I've been doing since we discovered this audio issue. So I finally just finished updating. Uh, so I was clicking a couple of buttons. Uh, once once we wrap up the show, we'll um, have to hop back on StreamYard and test that out quick. Otherwise, uh, otherwise I'll proceed to next next options. <laughs> I love I love that I'm for once. I don't love it, but it's for once not me dealing with the audio issues and somewhere deep down inside of me that that kind of makes me happy. Lucas, what are your thoughts on these young tight ends? Like I said, I'm buying at almost all costs. I like mean, whatever there. If somebody wants uh, in a tight end premium league. Like a first plus is I'm just I'm not even gonna think twice at that price. Well what a first plus what? First plus what? First plus the two, first plus I don't know, an older tight end like Schultz. Yeah, I would pay that. Okay, I mean, so 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 first so at a like okay, so let's say you're you have a playoff team but not a buy. So your first is uh could be anywhere from seven to twelve, but let's say the median is like that mid to late. An eight nine range. Yep. Um, so with that first, so your mid to late twenty four first, a second. How, how much more would we go beyond that? And for like a Laporta, McBride, or a Kincaid, that's that's the tier that I think I have them all in right now. I'm pulling up because I'm pulling up my ranks, and I have between one point two five to one point five, and I have like the seconds mm-hmm. effectively is like point three. Yeah, I have Laporta. First and and even my dynasty tight end one since the Andrews injury, 
um, and then McBride second right now, and then Hawkinson, and then um, uh, Kincaid. Yeah, I think I'm willing to add, I mean, any sort of flyer onto that that's needed to push it through. I mean, if I get a third back, if I got to add a 25-2 and I get a third back, I'm going to be pretty okay with that. I think that that's kind of inconsequential when you're getting a legitimate dynasty piece that can not only produce now, but I mean, there, I don't see a reason why these young guys can't continue this outstanding production. And when you're talking about uh, McBride, Laporta, Kincaid, Fryermuth, even Mayer, Mayer a little less because he hasn't had the week winning production yet. But these other guys have all proven they'll win you a week. So I'm I'm pretty okay paying that price for that opportunity. I will say, just as a quick note to the what am I willing to buy, I'm buying Laporta knowing that Ben Johnson could be gone and the system could change how he's used. Fully aware of that. Willing to bypass that. Tight end is – we what we said we want positions of scarcity. That's tight end. I don't remember the last time we had four to six young elite to very good tight ends just available. So I'm buying that up and I'm just not going to think twice. I think that's right at the spot though. I think you hit the exact tier. I will say like what these young tight ends are doing. It's unprecedented. We haven't seen it in the last five years. Uh, I did article back in the summer where looking at, trying to make predictions without ever seeing players play and how their value is going to change throughout the season, just based off of where people are drafting them right now in their rookie drafts. And there was only one tight end the whole time who actually increased value whenever they were drafted in a top 24. And that was Kyle Pitts. And it wasn't because of what he was doing during his rookie season. It's because he's Kyle Pitts. We saw that he was even a little bit involved and got really excited. So his value Went up. Uh, there's no. I think just, there's some revisionist history on his rookie season. Let's not say he was a little involved. He had over a thousand yards. Yeah, fair enough. But there's still t- rookie tight ends who have been fine, but they didn't meet our expectations of tight ends coming in, and so their value just dropped. These. This is the first time in the last five years that not only are we adding to the Kyle Pitts of it all, we're adding a whole bunch of names to the Kyle Pitts of it all. So we're yeah. all really excited. Obviously you wish you would have gotten in the draft. Now it's days. I only see good things coming from the future though. Well, the one thing that does, I think almost depress all of their value a little bit is like coming into the year. I thought the top of that tight end range was, you know, kind of in the two base first category, but a large part of that was that there was such a, little chance of replacement but like if we now have you know Hawkinson sticking around with, with what he's doing Andrews will be back next year I'm not sure how many years left we get of Kelsey probably one or two um you know st- I still have a lot of belief in in Pitts to eventually ascend into that once or get back to that once um the situation gets sorted and his health gets sorted um you know we mentioned obviously all the guys Kincaid Laporta um uh, McBride, well, uh, Brock Bowers is going to be another really, really sought after guy in drafts this year. So now we're like kind of getting to the point where like if we have this young group of tight ends in McBride and Hawkinson and Pitts and Kincaid and Bowers and Andrews is still not old by any stretch, maybe 29 next year. Like it, 
the points over replacement kind of goes a little bit down because you have more options when you're in a startup draft. It's not like, oh, if I miss, you know, the two tight end options, now I'm in the bargain tight end bin. So there's gonna, it's going to be really interesting to see how draft strategy changes with this brand new tight end position. Like we've been making the joke of is tight end actually deep for like a decade. And I think we can actually definitively say that it's kind of deep. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And uh, fantasy football clown show. Does it change in three point PPR start tight end on trade? Yeah, at, obviously. Yeah, uh, um, the, the trade cost is infinite. Um, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. You're not going to get them, basically. Uh, also, the two tight end leagues, why do you all hate yourselves this much? Like, it's that's lunacy. It's crazy. I'm never doing it again. Jacob made me do it. And I love two tight end leagues, and I never wanted. It was horrendous. It was. I, I, I think two tight end leagues are fantastic. Ugh. Ugh, no, I, I so strongly disagree. All right, that was our questions. We're gonna take a quick second. When we come back, we're gonna get into the rest of how we view the twenty three class. If you want more questions, if there's content you feel you're not getting, you can hashtag Dynasty Points at me and any of the discords I'm at at jacob or lucas ask us the question we'll sort them out get them on the show and we'll talk you guys through our view on whatever you need to know sit tight we come back when we talk the rest of the class can't wait okay so obviously the 2023 rookie class it's had some ups and downs um a lot of ups and downs, let's say. We've had I mean not a lot of downs. Well, I just other than Josh. <laughs> I knew I knew you were setting it up. Um look, guys have had breakout games and gone a little bit quiet. Um, I've had this conversation one hundred percent stemmed from not actually a doctor, Chris Sanzo, wondering how we felt about them moving into twenty twenty four because we haven't really had that well, we have had the elite breakouts, but not on the real first rounders, specifically speaking about wide receivers. Um, but I still feel really good about this class going into 2024, like really good. Zay Flowers breaking the Ravens rookie wide receiver receptions record, holding a very good target share. He's lacking touchdowns, but that whole offense is right now, unless your name's Gus Edwards, is really, 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 really tiring. Uh, Josh Downs has been way better than anybody thought. We've had late breakouts in Tank Dell and, and Puka Nakua. A-Chan looks every bit of what we were hoping for the minute he landed in Miami. Sands a little bit of health, so maybe he's never going to be the bell cow guy, but I don't think he ever has to be. Uh, obviously, see the CJ Stroud believers at 106 and 105. You're obviously thriving right now. JSN is probably the talking point I want to hit the most because there's a there's been quite the discussion recently that I've had where it's JSN is nothing more than an underneath player. That's what his role is going to be. He's stuck at the Jarvis Landry level. This is a conversation I had the other day. I'd love to get into that, but just generally speaking, even Bryce Young being a little disappointing at the one-two, Bijan being disappointing, not really, uh, for being the one-on-one. I just want to get everyone's lay of the land before we get into it. How are you feeling generally about this 2023 class? As I just did a little bit of a basic rundown. Well, I think the class has been remarkable. 
Um, I mean, probably like out of everyone, like back if we go back to rookie drafts, it was kind of a top, um, kind of a top six, like a clear cut top six, and then it was a three, and then it was kind of the rest of the gang. And like if we look at the preseason top six, you know, like uh, yeah, I understand Bijan probably hasn't scored as much as like his redraft cost would indicate. Um, I still think like, you have to feel terrific about him going forward as a talent. Um, it's just we, we really need that Atlanta situation to change peripherally at some point. And I don't know, I guess they're going to win the division. So probably not going to happen uh, next season. Um, anyway, but you, I think you still feel great about him. Obviously you feel like way better about Stroud. I think everybody at this point feels quite strongly about Gibbs and they should. Um, it's horrible that Richardson got hurt, but I, I think his value is probably higher now than it was uh, during rookie drafts. And even just a small period of time, he looks strong and Sykin looks like a, a terrific play caller. He now looks like he has actually very good weapons. So probably the only guys who've gone down in value since then are Bryce Young and JSN. I don't think that either are like dust. Bryce is probably closer. And then like the only massive bust of really the first like round and a half almost is Quentin Johnston. Like everyone else is, I think you still have hope for, right? Like, you know, guys like Addison and, and, and Flowers might have been passed up by like Puka and Dell, but relative to just where they were preseason, they've had unmistakably good rookie years. You mentioned A-Chan. Um, all of the tight ends, like, you know, it's, I think every single one of the main rookie tight ends has increased their value. And, of course, Laporta and Kincaid especially so. Uh, so I think you're – overall, you're feeling great. And then, yeah, I mean, the depth of the receiver class is what's been, like, the true revelation, right? We have Richie Rice popping, Josh Downs. Um, we mentioned Dell and Nakua all the way down to like a Jaden Reed. Um, I still think, you know, not put on a consistent basis, but Marvin Mims is still popping spots. Like, I think there's a lot of, um, good vibes around, uh, this class to Mario Douglas, uh, Dontavian Wicks, even like, you know, it's, it's one of the deeper wide receiver classes we've had. It's, it's gotta be like the best non round one wide receiver class. Like that I can recall in terms of a rookie season, um, especially for a lot of prospects that weren't really all that highly thought of. So uh, pretty, I think overall it's, it's been great. I mean, I can't argue with you. I mean, it's, it's just been so good. This class. Um, I understand why there is, can I, I just want to, I mostly want to hammer home Bryce young and JSN people. If you really want to discuss them. Yeah. I think if you really want to get out on Bryce young, I don't blame you. Um, yeah, it's going to be, you're going to take on water though. You're doing that at this point, right? I think the time was probably a while ago. Yeah. But, but I mean, what's, what's the cost going to be for you? Is it, are you okay sending, are you, are you buying Bryce young at all? Either of you, if you get the opportunity, well, then what's the cost, like, what are you comfortable sending away to get them right now? I mean, I would send like, I, I've been kind of waiting until he drops into like the late first range, to be honest. Right. Um, I tried to buy a while ago at like mid first range prices, not really offering first. I was mostly trying to pick my spots where there were actual contenders with Bryce Young and trying to offer them quarterbacks that might score points instead. And I, I was not successful in buying any. Um, I haven't tried recently. I just, I don't know. I feel like at this point in time, like I'll probably almost just reevaluate to the end of the season because, like, the specific set of circumstances just don't really line up. There's been so many quarterback injuries that, like, if I 
If I have a contender, I probably don't have a free quarterback spot on to take Bryce Young and not start him. By this point, half the freaking best quarterbacks in the NFL are injured. And then if I don't have a contender and I have like active quarterbacks that I want that aren't already elite, like the type of guy I'd want to trade for Bryce Young, like I've almost certainly traded them away to somebody else by now through these injuries. So all that being said, it's probably an offseason buy. I will say like he's been heinous. Like his EPA, CPOE comp is it right now. It's like, here, here's the bottom seven, right? This is his crew that he's hanging with. It's like Daniel Jones, followed by Desmond Ritter, followed by Kenny Pickett, followed by Bryce Young, followed by Matt Jones, followed by Zach Wilson. So he's like squarely in league with the worst of the worst. His EPA is actually the one driving those results, even below a CPA, CPOE, which is third worst than that, only behind Zach Wilson and Daniel Jones. Not good. PFF grade's terrible. Everything's terrible. Like, you know, basically all you can hang your hat on with Bryce Young is if you look at, if you just blanket look at quarterbacks that have had this bad of rookie seasons, he's effectively toast. If you filter that out and say, okay, what about first overall picks though, right? You know, he's obviously not your average bad rookie quarterback. Now you bring in, like, Stafford was really terrible as a rookie. Goff was really terrible as a rookie. And your real upside scenario is Trevor Lawrence, right? So basically where I would like to be at is I do not want to pay. I mean, it's kind of where I was at with Lawrence, where, like, I didn't really want to pay for him going into his second year because I, I felt like there just wasn't a ton of juice to be squeezed when he was still, like, a mid-second-round pick type of value I would have rather just like wait till we see a little bit of signs and then buy. And I, I think I still probably got in like cheaper than he is now. Now with Bryce, it seems like he's falling a lot harder. Probably wasn't thought of in the same way Lawrence was. And I also think there's some issues with like tools, right? Like Lawrence, despite being terrible constantly, we still saw the arm. We saw some of the mobility with young, like, man, it is tough guys. Like, I don't know how much of them you guys have watched, but like, it's hard to see a quarterback who's putting up terrible results, but also just looks small, doesn't have the arm strength. Like, he just kind of looks a little overwhelmed. Um, so, all that to say, I would need to get into a buy point where him turning into like a Stafford Goff career is like a major success story. So, I think that's got to be like late first type value range. Um, so we'll see where it goes next year. I'm not sure he becomes a buy for me at all, but, um, it's possible. Man, I think that's a great point. I'm willing to, man, I'm willing to buy, but I think you're right. I think I'm going to wait a little bit to start up season, kind of see where he ends up. I don't think you can get much lower. Like even a, a one twelve or one eleven makes me a little queasy. But I feel pretty okay knowing that at worst he could be a QB2 in a super flex league, and that's still valuable. He's had games where he's been more than like he hasn't lost you the week every single week, and he's throwing to Dusty Adam Thielen, DJ Chark at like he's throwing to nobodies, in my opinion. So yeah, get him maybe an actual weapon, a coach that doesn't get fired. Like all these things are bad signs, but there's still hope that he's not going to be CJ Stroud. So if you're like, oh, I should have drafted Stroud instead. Um, I, I don't want any part of Bryce Young. I think that's a bad approach. 
you can't you can't compare apples to oranges okay but i think he's worth a look i think he's worth a draft i think in a startup season i'm gonna have quite a bit of him because i could see him being an eighth round pick seventh round pick and i have a feeling i'm gonna take a lot of him a lot um so for it's gonna be rough it's gonna be brutal i wouldn't blame you for getting out at a late first price but i also wouldn't blame you for buying at a first place first late oh my god late first price it's a touchy touch and go situation. I don't see a reason why you can't be a 14 to 15 point per game quarterback minimum with literally anything around him. It is a piss poor franchise. We know that. So maybe that scares you off enough, but his ability, it is there. It is there. You can see it. How much do you want to wait for it? And how willing are you to eat the cost? I think people were more willing to eat the cost of Trey Lance because the rushing upside was there. So like, oh, at minimum, he can run his way into the end zone, scramble away. He had a rocking right. arm. That upside was there. Right. That's the issue with Bryce Young. It's like he's 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 really like a stock trading situation to me, where like like outside of the true like possible Hall of Fame type guys, right? Like, I never really want a Bryce Young archetype of quarterback to be my end goal. I mean, even with Trevor Lawrence, like, he's not really a rusher, but he's a large athletic man who they let QB sneak the ball into the end zone at the one-yard line. This was a point I was making in rookie drafts. Like, Bryce Young is never going to run a QB sneak. He's 170 freaking pounds. So, like, that's a massive issue when we're talking about goal line touchdown opportunities. Like, you know, that's two, three, four touchdowns per year that – He's never going to get. Um, he's, you know, so you'll get some scrambles between the 20s, but he's not a runner. And, you know, that, that makes you concerned, right? What are the chances he's like a true, like, best ever type of guy after this rookie season? I don't think great. His situation has been bad for sure. But it's, it's more of like, is he going to become good? And then I can sell him for later. Those are not usually my favorite bets to make, right? It's not usually... You have to hit a big parlay, right? First, you have to be right about the player being better. And then you have to find, like, a, a good deal to buy low. And then you have to find someone who's willing to buy high. It's like you can't depend on all of these things necessarily coalescing at once. So if I'm doing that, I have to have, like, a very, very strong take about being correct on that. Or I need to get a very, very cheap deal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's it. I think you hit it really well. I think you're going to... I traded rookie pick at two fourteen for him on a QB needy team. Yeah, that's two fourteen seems too cheap if you ask me, but I think it's a good move then. Um Lucas thoughts on, on Bryce Young? I mean you just feel bad for Bryce Young. <laughs> where he is like you really do yeah I, some of his struggles are on him he's adjusting to the nfl definitely it's like say he's not worth the number one overall pick i think that cj stroud would have done better just based off of how they've performed in the nfl in the same situation but we can't definitively say that he has arguably the worst situation in the NFL right now. He has instability at the coaching position. His best receivers been Adam Thielen, who they picked up off the scrap heap. Hayden Hurst at one point in time was leading the team in receptions. It's, it's weird. It's gross. 
you just really hope that he gets some help there, but they don't own their first round pick this year. They're going to have to wait another year. I don't think that they're going to really be opening up their pocketbooks to try to go out and get a wide receiver. We were talking about uh, T Higgins being the prize wide receiver on the free agent uh, market this off season. He hasn't looked great. Who knows what's going to happen with him moving forward. There aren't a lot of avenues though, for him to improve his situation in the short term. So I'm staying away right now. If you have him and you can get a late first for him, I'm willing to get out right now. For a late one, I mean, what are you getting? Do you think that's a better like bat than Bryce with a late one? So I'm really hoping that one more quarterback will emerge in this class. That's that is a long shot. Okay. I don't know. But I any quarterback really happy. Okay, but name name as many quarterbacks as you want. Like let, yeah. let's even say Let's say five quarterbacks go in the first oh. round, right? Like how I would set the over under on running backs drafted in the top two rounds of the 2024 draft at one and a half. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to, I would take that. the under and I would, and I would take the under on my own line. I would put it like under is minus minus one forty, over is like plus plus one sixty, something like that. Yeah. So Braylon so, only kind of obvious. One round. I don't think I'm Brandon's going in, in round two at all. I don't think that's happening. I, I would still say I think Travion's the best at, at it, but I don't even know that it's like like I wouldn't take. There's no individual running back that I would bet on to go round two. I just think like cumulatively one of them will go round two. I think I think that the NFL is going to be not as high on Braylon Allen as the fantasy community. That's that would be one take that I would I would stand by at the moment. I hope it's wrong. Um, anyway, it's not the Debbie show. But just my point being is, like, I think that this 2024 class is getting a lot of hype correctly because the top half of the first round is going to be electric. Um, you know, every single year we do this where, you know, we say a class is good and then we say it's bad. And then when we say it's bad, it's actually good. And when we say it's good, it's actually bad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All that being said, I, I do think this is a very, very top-heavy class, at the very least in perception. Right. So I, I don't think like if we're going through right now, you know, Caleb May, Harrison, Neighbors, Bowers, that's probably like the top five. And if Daniels goes in the first round, it's a top six. And, you know, it's like, OK, so you want to say maybe a couple more quarterbacks are in there. Which quarterbacks? Because, like, I don't know how much J.J. McCarthy <laughs> moving the needle for me from a fantasy perspective. Right. Like, oh. again, that's that we're talking about a pocket passer quarterback. So would I take shots on him in the mid first round? hundred percent, right? Look at CJ Stroud. You take shots on, on first round quarterbacks. Um, that's, not that's what I'm trying Stroud. to get to right now is I'm Nick. willing to reset that value and get any quarterback with my first round pick. That so you think, so you think, so you think JJ McCarthy would be a better bat than Bryce Young? I'm not saying he's a be better bat. I'm saying I'm willing to reset the value and hope that it goes up again next season. That's that's all I'm saying is I don't want to be holding Bryce Young right now. Let's reset where it is and try to do better next season. I would say that I would rather have even second round Daniels. Most likely. Yeah. I think well, Dan not Daniels is an entirely different bet because right. Daniels is like either he sucks or he breaks fantasy. Like it's a very binary bet. Yeah. I I, I would have a hard time um getting to the point of I think preferring like 
I don't know. Maybe we're not, maybe I'm not, I'm definitely not deep enough into like the rookie stuff yet. Like when we're talking about McCarthy and, and Penix and Knicks, like, especially if we're not talking top five draft capital, if we're talking like late first draft capital on those guys, like I still feel better with the priors on young than I think I do on those kind of questionable quarterback prospects without that league breaking ceiling. I don't know. Like, and then your other options in the late first round picks, probably receivers, right? We're talking about like a Doomsday and a Buka and Worthy. And it's like, eh, for Bryce. So yeah, it's, it's tough. I guess I think the, I, I'm still sending late ones. That, that would be where it is. I would certainly rather get out of him if I have a chance to get like a neighbors or Bowers though. Or, and I think we're starting to see more non-fantasy people hyping Daniels with draft capital, which is very good for us. Like I always get concerned when the people that are leading the charge on a player are fantasy people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, you know, Daniels went, I think, sixth or seventh in the Dane Brugler mock draft. I saw uh, Draft Network's Damian Parsons say that he thought he was the third best quarterback in the class today. I, I think that that, you know, that high train on Daniels is um, is in all of our best interests. Yeah, I'm going to agree. I know that's, that's basically all I'm saying, though, is I'm willing to reset. Let's turn it over messed up on this one i don't want to keep riding this roller coaster though i want to get off now let's find a way to get off if i can still maintain that first round value though and reset then i'm happy to do it would you rather have will levis Ooh, actually yeah it's gross but i'd rather have will levis right now the i would rather have will levis but i don't think it's gross i think i think that's a trade that you could reasonably make right now so Bryce very is currently quarterback 16, according to DLF, and uh, Will Levis is quarterback 21, according to DLF. I think that's way too low on Will Levis. It is. Uh, I have Levis at, I think, 15. Um, I mean, he's, like, we'll see how patient they are with him, right? Maybe they, maybe they aren't, but, um, I mean, every, right, the quarterbacks with these tools, right? Like, we're all getting very excited about Jordan Love right now. Uh, who's I mean, way better than I thought where he was like started hot tanked. Now he's all of a sudden come back alive. Like, I mean, we saw him play earlier in his career. There's, he would, he was not going to be anywhere close to this in year one. Now, you know, so I think he, he's benefited from kind of being shielded and while he's been able to develop in a way that love probably won't have the chance to, like if he doesn't improve, he's not getting to year four in the way that love did. I, I still would be really, really shocked. You know, a new regime took him. That was their first shot on quarterback, top of the second round with the trade up. I still think he's got at least next year. Um, and his tools are, are legitimately exciting. Like he makes terrific plays that a lot of quarterbacks are not capable of making. Um, I, I have not given up on on the Levis train. I, am, I would still be targeting him. And I, I've still seen more flashes from him than Bryce. Yep, I agree. Um Let's go JSN. There has been discussions that I have had recently that JSN does not have the upside. He can't win deep. His role is Jarvis Landry. Um, people expected the big blow up season that we haven't really gotten of any of the first round. Addison was on a wicked tear. Then Kirk Cousins went down. I think Addison probably would be the highest producing rookie had Cousins not went down, but we can't play that game. Uh, we have guys like Puka and Tank Dell who have absolutely destroyed fantasy and destroyed the first round wide receivers. 
So it is easy to look at guys like JSN, Flowers, and Addison, QJ. God, just terrible Traylon Burks 2.0, if not worse. It's easy to look at those other guys and say JSN is just dead in the water. However, I'll kick this off by saying if you drafted JSN and didn't somewhat expect this, you did not have the right mindset drafting JSN. They took JSN when they had two very viable wide receivers on a team that plays 12 personnel constantly and wants to run the ball. They have not been playing almost any 12 personnel on passing routes the last month. Like JSN has ran plenty of routes. Routes are not his problem. He's getting 80% all the last, basically since their bye week, he's been living in the 80% routes range. Right. So the last month, but I'm saying when you drafted JSN, now keep in mind uh, that also coincides with Tyler Lockett being a little banged up as well. So of course his routes, yeah, they're going to go up. But what I'm saying is JSN expected to have, I think the role that people thought he would just wasn't, we said it when we discussed post-show that JSN's probably a 2024 play. Uh, it was discussed at length on this program post-draft. Yeah, I still, I still would really push back on what we should have expected. Like, I think end result production-wise, I tend to agree. But, like, I don't think that people should have expected when drafting Jason at the 1.5 or 1.6, or even just based on the prospect profile, a 1.39 yards per route run sub 20% targets per route run on a tiny dot. Like that's, that's not good. And that's not, you know, like target competition plays into that, but not earning targets at a super high level, not earning targets at all depths and not being particularly efficient are not really issues we can purely assign to target competition. Like if he was running 65% of the routes because they're running too much 12 personnel, whatever, but he was still efficient when he was out there, I would not have an issue with it. Um, it's, it's not like he's in the danger zone, but like, let's call a spade a spade. Like he's 12th in this class in yards per route run with a minimum of 150 routes run. Names out of him, you know, include Michael Wilson who doesn't look like anything, include Marvin Mims, you know, include Dontavian Wicks, include Demario Douglas. Like, it's, you know, the only the only names below him with minimum 100 routes or minimum 150 routes in yards for a run are Jalen Hyatt, Jonathan Mingo, Quentin Johnston, and Trey Palmer. Basically four guys that probably don't fetch you more than a round three rookie pick today. Maybe maybe Quentin Johnson gets you a second in some spots. I don't know. So no, you're not taking that. So my point being, I don't think that his rookie year has been impressive. I think it's fair to say it's not. I, I still think there's like a case for JSN for sure. And I don't I don't think we're declaring him dead. My issue is is the market has just been extraordinarily forgiving. So you look at our old pals at Keep Trade Cut, and I don't know if fantasy calc in front of me. I imagine it's not that different. But like at least with Team Trade Cut, he ranks right now wide receiver 16. That is, you know, players that are within within range of him, not that far above, right? Within um, within the quote-unquote tier. Um, that would include 
Uh, Waddle, Smith, IU, Tank Dell, and Addison are one tier up. He's right there next to Metcalf. And then Diggs, Pittman, Flowers, DJ Moore, Nico Collins, T. Higgins, Drake London, Debo Samuel, all below him. So it's not that I think he can't succeed or that I think he's a boss or anything, but I, I really do struggle to come to a conclusion that he's one of the better bets at his price range right now when I think we can get out of him for players that have really strong ceilings, that are young, that score a million points now, like whatever it is you're prioritizing. You have options, right? So I, I think he is like a pretty glaring sell, not because I'm labeling him a boss or anything, but I, I still think like the, the likelihood he becomes a superstar is not particularly high. I don't think it's demonstrably higher than other rookies who have been more efficient than him that are a lot cheaper than him, like she Rice, Josh Downs, for instance. Um, and I think the most likely scenario is probably just like a solid starter, in which case you can kickstart that without sacrificing much of youth by also scoring points and trade him for Nico Collins, for um, a Michael Pittman. Um, you know, if you want like a high upside swing on a young player with pedigree, like Drake London has shown me a lot more than Jack Smith and Jigba, and it's cheaper. And he's not scoring a lot right now because of his environment. But like, I feel way more confident in that talent bet. So anyway, I just... However you break it down, I just don't think he's a strong bet at cost. And, and that's my standpoint. I think the market has been very, very forgiving. That I will agree with. It, it really has. Like coming in, he was wide receiver 16, wherever you're drafting him in May. Right now, DLF has him as wide receiver 19. That's only three spot fall. He has right. maintained his value fairly well throughout his rookie season it's actually gone up between october and november just because he has been more involved than he was early on but he is still currently ranking ahead of zay flowers ahead of tank dell ahead of rashi rice uh, josh downs a whole bunch of other wide receivers and they're outperforming him right now as a rookie i think people are still hanging on to his pedigree and what they think he can potentially turn into. So if you aren't sold right now is a great time to move on from him. As you were saying, Jacob, uh, I, I am surprised that he's only fallen three spots uh, in positional ADP. He's fallen six spots overall in ADP, which yeah, definitely wasn't expecting on here. Uh think even crazier though, is just how high up that Puka Nakua has gone. We were discussing, yeah. I think, like a month into the season about whether or not we would trade JSN for Puka Nakua. I think unanimously right now we can say that we're all taking Puka Nakua. Well, yeah, Puka Nakua, and that's, and that's been the, and that's been that's been the take for a couple months. Yeah, Puka, Puka Nakua is my wide receiver one of the class. I'm not saying that JSN would still be my wide receiver one of the class. But I also know that there's going to be a point where JSN is going to become a glaring buy. I know. But he also has an opportunity to, if his production from, let's say, last week continues, like if you like to listen to Coach speak or believe the liar that is Pete Carroll and that they're going to continue to use him, uh, even in the red zone, awesome. I think JSN has a great opportunity to finish the year way better than when he started. It'll make his situation murky. What do you believe, Jacob? You've mentioned before. Teams just don't let go of good wide receivers. So everyone's like, oh, Tyler Lockett's out of there next year. We don't know that. Uh, teams just don't give up good wide receivers for nothing if they can help it. 
I think he has an opportunity to finish down the stretch in a way that's going to maintain his value and boost his value. I think that's more likely than him finishing the year completely dudded out. In my opinion, it's just how I feel about him. But I'm also not sitting here saying that he's still my wide receiver one in the class. Like I would take four or five of these guys over him right now pretty easily. Would you do Rashi Rice in a second or JSN? Oh, I think I would. I think I'd probably still keep JSN, honestly. Just I would take the Rice side. Okay. I th- I think that's fair. I think Rice is still, if you look at Rice's production, he's catching a ton of screens and producing on them, and he's running routes at like a 63% rate like his snap share is still yeah well you know what I you know what I like is JSN to be efficient on a limited snap share. He's supposed to be good. Right. And I think that's coming. All signs are pointing to it coming. Trust. It's it's just that's that's just well, my... I mean I would lo- look I'm definitely not in the spot where where I'm like I will not re- this is gonna be one of those things where like JSN is a prime candidate to be like oh you're flip flopping guy because like uh, if, if his if his price changes in the off season where he comes down, like he is definitely a guy I would be interested in buying. Like I, I don't view him as like a dead asset or a certain bust whatsoever. I just don't think that his price is well calibrated to his season. Um, so right now I'm out. Um, that's it's definitely subject to change. I think that's fair. I think I would more have- subject to change based on his play. By the way, like if he starts stringing together more games like his most recent. You know, I'm sure. Right. And they're tough matchups. If he can produce in these upcoming matchups, I mean, that's going to bring me all the way back in. I'm thinking right now, if things stay the way that they are, I'm going to be out. I'll be, I'll be more willing to be out, but I will tell you that I was very much so expecting a not fabulous year out of JSN. It's why. I don't know what my roster ship is offhand. I don't want to search it up real quick, but it's not going to be above 12%. I did not draft a ton of JSN. I drafted a ton of Stroud at that spot, which I'm very happy with, but I was absolutely expecting a 2024 kind of breakout. That's when I expected it to be. It's what I said again on the show. I'll try to find the show. I'll post it in the link. So people don't think I'm full of shit. Um, we're very transparent on this program when we are wrong, but I think I would, I would rather have Zay. I would rather have Addison Puka Dell. Um, that's, that's probably where it stops for me in the, in the rookie. What about flowers? I, 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 I have you. I'm totally indistinguishably from flowers and Addison. I, I just, those guys tend to be a little bit cheaper. Yeah. But that's, like I said, I'd rather have Zay. I'd rather have Addison then JSN for sure. If I yeah. could trade JSN for those guys and get anything, I'd do that. You can. You probably can. I mean, maybe. Uh, I'm going to try. I'm definitely going to go out and try. I've been trying. But, damn. Um, yeah, that's just where I stand with JSN. I, I have a lot of hope. I think he's a very good player. And, again, if I eat dust on this and he can't beat anybody downfield, which... I think we see guys that run like four seven forties beat guys downfield. I think that's just one hundred percent a schematic situation. Um, we've seen fullbacks beat guys downfield. Like it can definitely happen. 
I think that he can do that. I think there's opportunity for that to happen. I won't say that it can't happen. That's the one thing I won't do. To say definitively right now, this is just where he's going to be, not something I'm willing to do. Um, and I'm going to stick to that until it, it becomes really bleak, probably. I'm not even going to try to be a JSN defender. Um, it just, I think that that, that statement is where I start to have an issue. And then even at the end of the day, uh, the individual that I was speaking with, whose name I can never pronounce 100% correctly, if it turns out that he is just Jarvis Landry, Jarvis Landry was very good for fantasy football. So that's not even a knock to say that he can't be very productive in that short, intermediate PPR role. So I'm not totally out. I do want the other four or five. It's when you get to like, I'd rather have Jaden Reed type situations. And I love Jaden Reed. He's been very good. I should have been more in on him again. Should have listened to Brett Whitefield. I think he's carved himself out a very nice role, but I'm still going to take guys like JSN over yeah, those dudes. Of course. Okay. But that's just, you're just like shadow boxing at that point. Like you're just like, I would rather have the guy who's like three rounds higher in value than the guys three rounds lower in value. Like you're just like, you're, you're you, that's just like a spend too much time on Twitter take. Cause you're like arguing with like a guy in a comment section that represents like all the people who don't have JSN on their teams. I'm just making a point to say that I'm not fucking biting that far in on the doomsday theory on JSN. That's all. That's all that statement is. It's not like a hot take. It's not whatever. It, I'm just not buying into all hands on deck. SOS, big red flashing alarm bells jump off the ship because people are out there doing it. Multiple discords, multiple. You get, you get a, you get, you get a straw man meme for that one. I'm, you're getting your straw man. Uh, fantastic. I love that. All right, that's a lot of JSN. That is a lot All of right. bright. Young. Picks? We can absolutely hammer out picks. The only other player I wanted to talk about, kind of more specifically, is Achan because sure. I think his range of value is all over the place. I've seen I uh I can actually check to see where exactly I have him. I think he's RB7 for me. He is RB9 according to DLF as we stand today. His highest he's been this season has been RB7. DLF, but DLF lives like in the past. RB9, that's ridiculous. Come on. I have him RB7 right now. I have him one ahead yeah. of... Oh, there's, there's like... RB7 is like, I feel like, literally like the lowest reasonable ranking. Maybe well, I, eight. Maybe eight. If you want to make it, if you want to make a Walker case, that's that's fine. I have Taylor ahead right now, but that'll probably change in the coming weeks once I do my final in-season update on my ranking. Yeah. I have him at seven. He's just ahead of Walker. He's just behind Taylor. The question is, is he always going to be a committee back? And does that matter to you? Because I don't think that it matters. Okay, go ahead. Why? I, I, I think committee back like only matters if you're not... I think, I think the... Like, the committee back like workload stuff is is just like not very interesting to me, and it's like 
that you have to look at each player. Like it matters that Jonathan Taylor is a committee back because his like value case is like I get all the touches and I get all the touchdowns and I run the ball a lot, right? Like I, I just think with Devon Achan, like yeah, he's always going to be a committee back of sorts. Like I, I, to what extent the committee? I don't know. It's like the same idea as Gibbs, right? Like you know, these guys are not going to be for over the course of a full season getting like 20 carries and six targets. Like it's not going to happen. They're not built that way and they, they wouldn't do well in it. And you shouldn't be hoping for that. Um, so really all that matters is like, is he going to be used creatively? Is he going to have opportunities at the goal line? Is he going to have receiving work? And like, what offense is he in? And like, I think as long as he's used creatively and effectively, he's going to be super, super efficient because I trust McDaniel to get the most out of his best players at all times. And each chance to be one of his best players. So I think he'll always be like a committee back ish, but I think that he can handle certainly more than like just a specialty role from a skill perspective, whether his body holds up to that, who knows? Um, I don't know. I don't really care about the rank specifically. I think he's clearly in the, and he's clearly of a tier at least as like the most high ceiling, high volatility option that I think is with like Taylor and ETN. And, and if, if you're a Walker fan, that grouping, I think he's, you know, pretty clearly behind, Gibson Hall, um, for me at least. Um, McCaffrey just exists in his own little world. Um, <laughs> so, so different than like there's no there's no real bet that's analogous to him, just with the age and the production and everything. So um, yeah, I mean, it'd be that five to seven range for me. But um, you know, it's kind of, I mean, realistically, like, if you wanted to buy a chan, like you're probably buying him when he was injured. So I don't know what, what we're doing with it now, but I'm not selling. I'll put it that way. Are you are you okay knowing that he could have a three year shelf life? Like, are you totally like, are you willing to buy a? Well, what do you mean by that? Okay, so what I mean by that is, if a player who is constantly banged up, like, if can he survive a major knee injury and have the same value to you, or I, I mean, wrecking? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know that I would like. I don't know. I'm not sure that I would put like a definitive shelf life on him or anyone like it's it's running back like all of them live under like a like it's like schrodinger's shelf life for every back like at any time they can suffer a debilitating injury and then that debilitating injury could like ruin their career and it's like the only thing we can really control is how much we invest in them how old they are so that we can get some sort of gauge of how much value they can recover after an injury and then like hope they recover well you know so it's like Okay. It, it's, it's hard to say. Like, because, I mean, when we're talking about like injury prone stuff, it's like, okay, like maybe he's like a little bit at the margins. Like maybe he's more likely to, to suffer some of these contact injuries or whatever. It's like, is he more likely to tear an Achilles? Like, I don't think he's any more likely to t- like have a random non contact Achilles injury on like turf than anybody else is. Um, is he more likely to like bruise his ribs? Probably. You know, is that going to massively like change his dynasty value? Not really. Um, so it doesn't, it's not a big thing to me the, the, the size is like a legitimate concern, but it's like, to me, it's more of like a persistent concern. And that I think he'll, he'll like probably like, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be expecting a lot of 17 game seasons. I guess I'll put it that way, but I don't know that it's like all of a sudden he's injured and he's dead. Okay. I only ask because his value is. I think a little bit ballooned by outlier ish production. Like he hasn't played a game and not scored a touchdown 
He's only not. Right. Yeah, I think it's injury scores thirty plus. Those are the only two options. Yeah, so it's like, are you comfortable knowing that if he with that touchdown regression hits, he could be living in a world of like eight to nine points if he doesn't break one out? It's just one of those things to have a running back ranked that high. You kind of expect a baseline. Well, every running back, basically except for McCaffrey, is scoring, or I guess in Camaro right now. But like. Yeah, if sure. you don't score a touchdown and you don't have a, a breakaway play, then you're scoring eight or nine points. <laughs> like that's like I just see that so many times. People be like, "Oh, he's only scoring eight or nine points if he doesn't get a touchdown," or like he's only scoring eight or nine points if he doesn't break a big one. It's like, yeah, right. Like, okay, if you get fifteen, if you get fifteen and if you get fifteen carries and four targets, and you don't break a big one, well, how do you know? It's like, well, the average yard per carry is four and a half. Okay, that's because people break big ones sometimes. So if you're telling me he doesn't. Then okay, he probably has fifty rushing yards. That's five points. Oh, he has four targets. Okay, let's say he catches three of those for twenty yards. Well, that's ten points. So if you don't break a big one, you don't get in the end zone, and you're not Christian McCaffrey, you're getting ten points. So like that applies to H, but it applies to like everybody. So I don't really view it in the sense of, you know, it's like, well, who has a better chance to score the touchdowns and to break the big ones? It's like, well, if you have a hundred percent of the goal line work. Better chance of scoring touchdowns, especially right. if your team is pretty good. That's okay. probably not HN, but I think he has a better chance of, of breaking a big one, certainly, than most guys because he's going to be used better. He is better. Um, you know, he's going to have receiving production. So I, I, that would be how I would view it. But yeah, he'll, I continue to put him like in my column every week when I do like my streamer index. Like, I always put him as like a high, highly volatile, um, low RB1, not as like I actually think he's going to score 25 points every week. It's just that he does, unless he breaks his ribs and gets hurt immediately. Those are the only two options. Okay. I, I just think it's a fair question because there are people that are very much into trading HN for a one and Kenneth Walker. There are people that think that well, sure. sustainable. I mean, like it just it it's it's a legitimate conversation that people Walker. aren't willing to do. So it's it's important to note that yeah his this t- is Touchdowns will regress. It's going to happen. So you just have to be okay with that out of a top. You said seven is the lowest. You're putting him in that top five. People expect that like premium. I I mean, when we're talking about just rankings, it's like at a certain point, you really do have a dearth of options, right? John McCaffrey, Gibbs, Hall, HN, Taylor, ETN, and then Walker, who I'm not as high on, but that's totally reasonable. Like, after that, like literally every other name you could bring up is either like old or has like draft capital concerns or injury concerns or free agency at the end of the year concerns. Like it's it's a shit show after that. So yeah. it's it's like not it's almost like artificial about the ranking because like I think someone could be like I have Devon Achan at RB seven and another person could be like I have Devon Achan at RB seven and they could still think about him wildly differently. Like if you're trading him, it's it's like. Okay, maybe you trade him for Taylor, you trade him for Etienne, you trade him for Hall or something like that. But you know, beyond like a very small list of circumstances, like realistically, your HN trades are probably like not really factoring into that top ten running back ranking that much, just because of of the position right now is so thin at the top. Perfect. I don't think I could have asked for a. A better response, honestly. I just I have to pick your brain about it because these are just general questions that we see all the time. Got to break it down a little bit more. 
than than the surface. Lucas, I'm going to throw this to you. Sean wants to know: Should I trade James Cook for Swift after this week? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I I would do that. I don't I don't want a part of James Cook at all. I would rather have Swift. Yeah, I mean, I would I would rather have Swift. I bet it's like it's like a sixty forty. But yeah. I'd rather have Swift. Yeah, to answer the question outright in a vacuum, yeah, I would rather do that. Let's do player picks. Let's take a quick second. When we come back, we're going to do player picks. Okay, okay, okay. After Jake, I, I said it, Jacob had a massive comeback. He's still in third, but he's now at 544.22. He is within a good week striking distance of the lead. We're all pretty close. I have just absolutely shit the bed two weeks in a row. Not looking good for me. But, Jacob, I, I'm i going to start with you because you have a stack here that I didn't think in 2023 we would be talking about. But what is the week-winning stack that you have locked in? Oh, God. Um, I mean, it's look, normally when we do this, the quarterback is not the one that makes you feel gross. Like I, We've never had to go into grosser quarterbacks than this year. Like you get outside the top 12 in 2024. And it's like, what the hell am I looking at at a quarterback position? So that being said, starting Joe Flacco um, against the Jacksonville defense. It just made Jake Browning look, make Joe Burrow look like he was a system quarterback. So I'll take Flacco. I'm stacking him with Elijah Moore. They had the connection from, uh, New York Jets days. Elisha Moore racked up 255 air yards last week. Um, absolute madman shit from Flacco, just slinging it. Uh, Cooper in the concussion protocol, so have to assume he's pretty unlikely to play in this spot. Um, and then you have uh, also you have the advantage of Elijah Moore lining up in the slot, which has historically been a good spot to target this Jacksonville defense. So I'll give that stack. A little worried about the weather, but if it is okay, hopefully that'll eat. I'll take Javante and a matchup versus the Chargers. Chargers defense has been deplorable when they're not playing Bailey Zappi. Um, and a little reported story of last week because they had a game with a total of 21 points in a rainstorm in New York, and it was horrible from everybody. But Kyle Pitts' role is actually uh, back, seemingly. Uh, he had declined for most of the middle season to only running like 60 to 65% of the routes, and I don't know why. But he was back to 90% last week. So maybe that's just a sign of that they feel more confident in his knee. Whatever it is, he, he ran 90% of routes. He saw a target on eight of his 27 routes. They now get Tampa Bay. So, uh, you know, you know you're signing up for it, Pitts. It's going to be heartbreak. But um, every tight end outside the top 10 is, is not a particularly good start. Um, and if that role from last week is real then he has like actually a legitimately great role, um, which is like, you know, the role of our hopes and dreams 13 weeks too late. Who knows? It's Arthur Smith. He could go right back to 60% routes again this week, but if it's actually sticking, then it's pretty money. So when we talked with matchup points last week with Adam Kaplan, him and he and John Hansen both think there's something been wrong with Kyle Pitts. I think he's been playing through an injury and the Falcons just aren't saying anything. And given their history of doing that, not surprising. Uh, they think he's playing through something and he's not looked particularly good. But like you said, it did boost last week a little bit. So my guess is he just did not have a very good surgery on that torn MCL. Yeah. 
and he came back quick. Like maybe 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 he gets that relooked at over the Aussies or something. Because yeah, it's not been good. He was like he's lumbering. That's that's the thing, and that's look. I trust Kaplan when he when he says it. That's the feeling. That's the vibe. I'm gonna roll with the AC on that. I'm gonna go second because I'm in second because Lucas is just better at this than me. It turns out all that trash talk really hasn't done me well. I'm gonna go with. Also, shout out Joe Flacco, baby. That dude should have been starting for one team at yeah. least in the last five years. Unbelievable. Is still top 10. That dude goes from a pizzeria to walking out and just slinging it deep. He was in New Jersey, according to Hanson, going to the same pizzeria that he was. And next thing you know, the week later, boom, he's slinging the ball that much to Elijah Moore to make How- him happy. How what's your like emotional standpoint going to be? Yeah, because this almost feels inevitable to me. First round, we get Joe Flacco and the Browns mm-hmm. at Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Like, please God, right? Like, if, if we have to be stopped watching Joe Flacco, Kenny Pickett, and Gardner Minshew in the playoffs instead of um, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, and Justin Herbert. At the very least, give me the fun games. Like, I want Minshew in Jacksonville, and I want Flacco in Baltimore. Come on. Yeah, I would immediately root for the Browns if <laughs> I'm looking for another miracle. Sorry. Sorry. Another miracle. In oh, my God. You would? With Flacco uh, to win. You a would convert. I didn't know you even love Flacco that much. I, I, I don't know. That's crazy. Wow. You yeah. root for Flacco. Buddy, he's the Italian stallion, the man with the eyes. <laughs> Super Bowl MVP, robbed of five years starting in the NFL with his arm talent. The guy should have had a Kurt Warner second half of his career. Got robbed of hitting 55,000 passing yards, which I really think he could have done. Look, truly, truly underappreciated elite off the couch quarterback. Joe Flacco, and uh, I'm happy you picked him here. For myself, I need to go some upside. I'm going to go with slinging Jameis Winston. Uh, he is hopefully playing right now. Fantasy Pros doesn't even have him listed. Derek Carr listed. Uh, it all signs on Twitter. Fantasy points, projections, all signs pointing to Jameis Winston. We need that in our lives. We need deep ball after deep ball after deep ball in our lives. Will he throw three interceptions? Maybe. But three touchdowns are more than possible. I'm taking Winston. I'm taking David Montgomery in a revenge, another revenge game against the Bears. I think they'll force him a touchdown. I need that. And he's just been really, really good. I'll take the aforementioned on this episode, Jaden Reed in Green Bay, Christian Watson, That didn't look good, whatever it was. If it was the hamstring again, if it wasn't, I don't know. Didn't look good. So I'm going to go with Jaden Reed to get eight touches this week. That could be enough. I'm going to go with Pat Fries. He came back with the vengeance, had an absolutely blow-up game, and then laid a dud this week with Mitch freaking Trubisky, which we're getting again. But Mitch Trubisky versus Bailey Zappi. Everyone start your engines. I know, but Trubisky is capable of doing one thing pretty well. It's force-feeding a guy targets. I'm really just relying on it being Pat 
for our youth. And speaking of your QB matchup, it's going to be Allen Robinson, Mitch Trubisky, CJ Beathard versus Joe Flacco, Minshew versus Browning, Baker versus Ritter, Dobbs potentially versus AOC, and Bryce Young versus Jameis Winston. When Bryce Young versus Jameis Winston in 2023 is the most exciting matchup of the year in week 14, the season's gone to shit. And it has. Lucas, who are you rolling with this week to pad your freaking lead? I will say this is the least excited I have been making these picks. Just sitting there and every ounce of this is just yuck. Uh, I, I was going to go Joe Flacco, but I thought for sure that I would have to hear it from Thomas. I'd be saying that I was fired three times if I did take him instead of leaving him for Thomas. So I did go with Will Levis. I really like the matchup against the Dolphins. Uh, Potential for some garbage time uh, touchdowns. So, uh, and Will Levis looked pretty good last week. So going to ride that. Uh, AJ Dillon's just been a mall of consistency. Against a fairly weak uh, Giants run game, hoping that he can at least fall in the end zone. And if he doesn't, I'll be fine with 10 PPR points uh, and just maintaining the lead I have. I did get a little crazy, though, at wide receiver. I I couldn't help myself. Uh, after Gabe Davis has burned my redraft teams, I don't even know how many times. I'm going back to the well here. And... If he has the game that I believe he can have, I'm going to freaking finish this thing off this week. Just going to put myself at a place that y'all can't catch me. Or I'm going to end up in last place because Gabe Davis got me zero points. But against the Chiefs, not a great secondary, a fine secondary. And what should be, or at least what I'm hoping is just a fantastic game. I'm going to go with Gabe Davis. Hope that he actually performs. And then Gerald Everett. I know that the Broncos have been better recently, but they're still giving up the most points to tight ends. So just riding that and hoping that, uh, you know, they'll probably get me six points, but who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll hit the jackpot here and uh, get some surprising production there. Uh, but those are my picks this week from the first place team. From the, fr- you had to add that uh, in at the end. I caught that. I caught that. I'm I'm hoping that Gabe Davis does put up that zero for you, buddy. I'm I don't have any Gabe Davis and on any playoff teams. So look, and if this it, is the name I couldn't figure out how to I can't pronounce anti-misanthrope. Okay. He was on our Debbie show last night. We've had many conversations in the Debbie Discord chat as well. Right. Uh, I had no idea it was the same person until they were like, Oh, it's this guy. I'm like, oh, look at that. Um uh, but he said, I sit here thinking, how is HN RB7 ish? And then I looked at the RBs and said, yep, only seven good running backs. That's just the state of it. They're going to score a bunch of points uh, in the future, but it's going to be gross on the way there. My final thought, if I had to give one on the 2023 rookie class, is that I'm buying them. I think throughout the offseason, you should be constantly checking in on what their prices are. Again, there's going to come a point where Jacob said where he could hit a flippity floppity scenario where he's, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, and then he's in because the price gets low enough. That's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be constantly checking in. I want to buy as many of these soon-to-be sophomores as I can, and I'm I'm just going to be happy doing that. That's my final thoughts. Jacob, final thoughts, thinking about thinking. What do you have? 
Yep. Um, so my drives out this week. It'll be the last one of the regular format um, since we're kind of going into playoffs next week. I'm going to do a little bit less of the like looking back and a little bit more of the focus on the upcoming matchups. Um, since especially like you know nobody's really going to be able to make trades anymore at that point. Um, I'm also going to either this week or next. The gauntlet just got released by Underdog. Um, that's their playoff best ball. So depending on how much work I have in real life um, outside of fantasy, um, that I will have a piece up there or two either this week or next week. So excited to get into some playoff best ball stuff. Fantastic. Lucas? So I'm sitting here looking at the rest of the 2023 class. I've realized that Anthony Richardson has become my most owned player that both excites and scares the crap out of me. So we'll see if that maintains going on for the rest of the off season. Uh, Cause on the teams I have him, it's, it's already my off season. I've, <laughs> that, that was finished a, a while ago. And also just to finish it out. FSU should have got in. That's it. Oh, that no. That's okay. Can we let's do five minutes on this? That is egregious. That's the worst take in the history of sports. The FSU people are the arch enemy of everything that I stand for and believe in as a sports consumer. They're a bunch of little sad whiny baby boys who, when recess happened, and someone said, "Oh, it was two hand touch, but he only got one hand." Oh, I touched him. Why did he keep running to the end zone? Teacher, teacher, come and save me. No. FSU, they're not good. I'm sorry. They were decent. They probably weren't a top four team in the country, even with Travis, but it was at least arguable. And if they put them in, I wouldn't have been upset about it. All the putting them in would have done was create another Washington, not this year's, previous years, the Brown in Washington, Michigan State, Cincinnati, James Florida State was a team. Oh, we have to put them in. We have to put them in. Let's make sure that one of the playoff games is completely non-competitive. And look, normally that doesn't even offend me because normally we only have two, three teams that actually have a realistic chance of winning at the college football playoff. So sure, if there's only a couple teams that have a chance to win, put in the team that earned it, quote to speak, deserved it, quote unquote. This year, I think there's actually seven teams that have a reasonable realistic chance of winning the national championship if they all went in because frankly there's no absolutely dominant force this year and it's also a lot of good teams florida state probably would have made that eight if they had jordan travis they don't and so they're not so to me taking out a team in i don't even care who they put in like for me my top four would have not included texas it would have included georgia but i'm fine with texas i would have been fine with ohio state getting in um uh, to take any of those teams out and put Florida State in is like just a, it's, it's just like a lifetime achievement award. And for what? So their fans can feel better when they go out and get drubbed 38 to three. Is, are people going to feel better about that? I wouldn't feel better about that. I'm sorry, Florida State. I'm sorry that you lost your quarterback. That's horrible. But not getting a little rubber stamp saying a good for you thumbs up for, by getting a playoff spot that you wouldn't have succeeded with. I don't believe in it. Uh, if you want participation trophies, Go back to your recess. Go cry to your counselor. Um, and let's actually enjoy watching two competitive college football games. I'm just going to say we did not have near enough of a sample size to say that Florida State would have had no chance against Michigan. I think that the matchup with Michigan is actually a really good one for Florida State, even without oh, Jordan because Travis. Right, because, because neither of them would score. So they'd have like a chance at the end. There you go. I think that Florida State can handle Michigan physically and 
Florida State looked much get better against Louisville and against Florida than Alabama did against Auburn. Alabama but, looked great against Georgia. I'll give them that. But Alabama also screwed up at the end of the season and just barely hung on. And Florida State actually still dominated their games even without. Okay, but even in the Auburn game, like like even in the Auburn game, like I've seen this argument and I, I, I get it. First of all, that was their worst game of the year. So I don't really want to just hold their worst game of the year against them. But also, like, they still scored the football in that game. Like, I understand that their defense played pretty brutally against an Auburn team that tends to play them tough every year. Like, they they moved the football. Like, Florida State, in that Louisville game, I, I mean, if it was, like, Jack Plummer, oh, my God. But, like, they couldn't they, – they functionally could not move the ball. Like, I, I also guess that that wasn't the quarterback that actually would have played in the college football playoff. I understand that they – that was their third stringer. They would have their backups. I – I mean, I guess I just like do even even Florida State with Travis. Like we think they're better than these other teams. Like what what based on what? Like okay, the LSU win at the beginning of the year was pretty much their only impressive win. I don't find the Louisville wins impressive. Louisville just lost at home to Kentucky. Like Louisville was like the least bad team in an ACC that was horrible, except for Florida State this year. So yeah, I, I'm just not. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not buying it on Florida State actually being a threat. And if you're not a threat, then it's like, did you deserve, I guess it's just, I don't know. The whole like, you deserve that thing just doesn't hold any sway for me. The ironic thing is, I think they actually are pretty live to beat Georgia in this bowl game because Georgia's not going to give a fuck. And Florida State, it's either going to go one or two ways. Like either they're going to be like angry and they just don't care because they're despondent or they're going to be like on a mission, right? We saw this with the UCF, um, like against Auburn or whatever. It's like, if you put them full strength against Georgia, full strength, and they're both motivated, I think Georgia whoops their ass. Uh, but I, I, I would not be shocked if they make this a game or even win it just based on like the the, the human spirit going into this ball game. See, my not being a, a big college football pundit, head, follower, whatever, the opening line of Georgia of minus 13 and a half says enough about why FSU didn't get in and what what the bookmakers think of them. At this point, Oregon so, was a 10 and a half point favorite against Washington. Washington still won. Yeah. And that and was you, so silly. you brought up some other teams in the past and we could go way more on this. Cincinnati beat Notre Dame. Cincinnati should have been in the tournament. And, you know, they didn't play well against a great Alabama team. So what TCU, they probably should have been in last season. They end up beating Michigan. I don't care. Right, but I, OK, for the record, I picked TCU in that game. <laughs> Like I, that was my biggest bet of the entire year was was TCU money line. I took them on the spread. I took them on the money. I have no respect for the Big Ten or any of their combatants. Like it's my my annual tradition is picking against the Big Ten in the college football playoff when they make it. Uh, well, unless I actually believe in their quarterback. Like, but last year, um, it's like so. Like, for instance, like Ohio State with Stroud felt very differently about the Michigan with McCarthy. Either of the Big Ten teams this year, Michigan or Ohio State, I, I'm dubious of um like i'll, I'll take i'm taking bama in that one I'll, I'll i'll say that okay who have you got in the, who have you got in the two college football playoff games let's make some picks so uh we did our picks last night on the debbie show i ended up saying that washington's going to win it all washington is going to be an amazing game i, I, I have washington it. as my as my college football playoff champion at odds i don't know if i have the balls to pick them straight up yet i might and then I do have Michigan beating Alabama. 
I don't know. We'll we'll see. I don't know if Alabama's going to actually be able to run the ball against Michigan. I just I don't I don't think they will be able to, and I don't know if they can actually stop Michigan just running the ball down their throat. We'll see. Uh, I just don't think it's. I mean, how hard is it to stop Michigan? They don't do anything. They they've still found a way to win. I don't get it. They beat Penn State without throwing the ball the entire second half. So. Sure. I don't know. It's I guess my thing is they so they beat they beat Drew yeah. Allar, they beat Kyle McCord, they beat Deacon Hill. Like uh, I don't know. I, I mean I buy Michigan's defense. But like la- remember last year everybody's like, oh Michigan's defense. What what's TCU gonna do in Michigan's defense? They hung like fifty on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, we'll see. I still have Washington we'll winning it all though. I I'm have- taking Bama to I'm taking Bama over Michigan. I'm taking Washington over Texas. And uh, take it, Alabama as the national champion, just just to really rub salt in the wounds of the Florida State stands. <laughs> I will say I'm really excited for Florida State after they beat Georgia to raise their own national championship banner. I think that that's going to be a really fun time in college sports. It's just, it's great. It's going to be fun. I'm excited for the expansion of the playoffs. I'll yes, say, yes. I think it's long overdue. I think it's going to open up many doors, but I completely see a bunch, even more bitter folks saying, well, if we, if it should have been six and freaking the year, what 2014 or whatever the case, I get it, but embrace the change. It's going to be a lot of fun moving forward. I'll, I'll take the other, I'll take the other side of this. Part of me is happy for the college football playoff expanding because it'll mean more high stakes called football games. Like, I don't know. Sorry, I just can't get excited for New Year's Six. Like I, I, I can barely get excited for the Tennessee in the New Year's Six game against Clemson last year. Like I, and I, I did, but that was only because Tennessee had sucked for so long. Like if they made it again, do any? Like I, I'm sorry. Like I could give less of a shit about the Citrus Bowl versus Iowa this year. Like I, I just, I just can't. I can't get there. So high six college football, give it to me. Downside is like. These arguments rock, man. Like, I, I love arguing about the stupid college football playoff. There are not that many things that we actually get the chance to have, like, stakes-free arguments about in society anymore. Politics is a hellscape, right? You can't argue with anyone. Try having an argument, a friendly argument with a friend about the, the war in Israel and Palestine right now. Like, see how that turns out. Um, try having an argument about Trump or about Biden. Right, that's not going to be fun at the dinner table. Um, and sports arguments, a lot of them are are really useless because the, we have so much data now that it's like not that often that we actually get to have like a very good faith argument with like a person who has an equally plausible opinion. Mike but this, famer. right? This is like completely subjective, right? At the end of the day, it's like first of all, we don't really know what would happen in a theoretical Florida State Alabama game. Second of all. You can have the exact same opinion on that Alabama is way better than Florida State and have totally different opinions on what the criteria should be to be in the college football playoff. And that's awesome because there's literally no right or wrong answer. You can just argue with someone, stakes free, until you're blue in the face and scream and yell at them and nobody's harmed at the end of the day. And I think that we just don't have a lot of that anymore. So I'm going to miss it. Well, we'll get to have it again, but now instead of – a top four team got left out. It's going to be who got screwed because they didn't get a first round bye. That'll be right. Really or I guess it's eight just... nine who missed out on hosting one of these games. That's going to be 
a blast like i cannot wait right. for that um and honestly i can't wait to get more group of five schools in this because whenever those oh. happen that's going to be so much fun you would you would the, 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 of course the florida state should be in guys like oh give me more group of five representation it's going to be fun whenever those upsets happen those are so much fun. Give me one of these upsets no. for every I'm so much of a heel. All I want, all I want in the college football playoff every year is Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama. I, I'm, I'm that person. I'm like the people that are like, oh, it'd be so great to not have the SEC this year. It's like, no, I actually want to watch the best athletes. Oh my god. I Jacob, I smell a guest spot on the full tilt Devi podcast on Monday. No, no. In your no, this has been. What was, what was I didn't get a chance to watch this week. What was the um, what was the breakdown? Like you are obviously pro Florida State. Who would have been your other team? Texas. Yep, I thought Texas okay, absolutely what was, should be in because they beat Alabama. Oh yeah. right, yeah. Don't even get me started on the head to head stuff. That drives me nuts. But my phone's gonna die, so I, I don't think I can rant about it. Um, <laughs> it drives you nuts whenever a team beats another team, even if they aren't better. I'm sorry. All right, why do we? No, that, okay, okay, all right. Other thing. So John, here's my rant about the head to head. And oh, Andy God. was, of course, John uh, would be because he's a massive boomer. Thank you, Andy. Some good sense on the Debbie podcast. Um, the, okay, the head to head stuff because the head to head stuff is the biggest double count that people think is like rational. Because it's not really a tiebreaker. It's a tie maker. Like, if Alabama had played, if, if Alabama just didn't schedule that game, right, and Texas didn't schedule that game, and Alabama beats Abilene Christian and Texas beats Sam Houston State, then there's no question which team is, is better. It's, it's clearly Alabama. And if Alabama lost to another team of Texas's caliber, right, so let's say Alabama loses to Ohio State and Texas beats Washington, whatever, right? Like now we're probably saying, oh, this is like a toss-up and, you know, people have their opinions on which one they think is better or, or worse, whatever, right? And I, I think general consensus, at least in the markets, Alabama's a little better, so maybe most people come down on that side. But, oh, because they played each other, like we have to pick the team that beat them. It's like, it, what? that's what created the tie. Like you already get credit for beating them in that now you're viewed similarly, if that game didn't happen, you wouldn't be viewed similarly. So I just don't understand why I'm supposed to be like, oh, well, you weren't very close. And then you played this game and you beat them. So now you're close. And now that we've made you close, oh, you beat them. I didn't already count that. Now you got to get it. We got to give it to the head to head. Like, I, I just don't understand why, because they happen to play each other. Like, it's like that's a more impressive win than Alabama beating. Because I don't see why it's a markedly more impressive win than Alabama beating Georgia. And I definitely think it's a it's a it's a better loss for Alabama to have lost to Texas than for Texas to have lost to Oklahoma. And then I look at the rest of their profile. It's like, well, would I rather have wins over LSU and Ole Miss um, and Tennessee, or would I rather have wins against like Kansas State and Oklahoma State and whatever else? So to me, like, I think Alabama comes a little bit better. I, I get people always even care about the head-to-head -head stuff. It's just a personal it's a personal grievance. I understand what you're saying. I'm still going to put weight on the games that have actually happened. It's two different philosophical views at it. We're probably never going to agree on it, no matter how much we yell at each other through a computer screen about it. But that is the fun thing about sports. As you outlined, you know, we get to argue about this. It has actually no bearing on our lives at all. 
but it keeps us entertained for hours at a time it brings us closer together while we're still yelling at each other saying somebody's dumb or somebody's a goody two shoes and squiggle cry on the playground uh yeah it's it's going to bring (laughs) us together so it's it's fun we're going to have more fun with it next year uh whenever tennessee finally makes it into the playoff i'm going to be nico uh, nico 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 it's going to not be a good day for uh the full tilt brand because we'll see how rogue i go uh you might have to lock me out of our accounts then but it's going to be a really fun time no no tennessee noise about quarterbacks in the transfer portal so it seems like nico is gonna get his shot in 2024 so pretty for that. absolutely should uh more debbie content but if usc gets a quarterback and doesn't yeah get malachi nelson, nelson why, why is malachi nelson not in line to start next year well and ohio, and ohio state seems to not have any interest in starting devin brown either I don't. I don't get it. it makes so it's very interesting. And then Dante Moore is on the move. So so Oklahoma's going to start Arnold. That seems pretty clear. Yep. Looks like Tennessee's going to start Nico. Yep. And then Arch is staying. At I don't know what's happening with Arch. He, so he's going to just stay and be behind Quinn for another year. Yep. Well, that's kind of a bummer, but it's at least a little bit more reasonable. The USC stuff is fascinating. Yeah, we'll see. And apparently, uh, uh, Tom's like he is in hell right now. Yeah, apparently we're going to So we'll see. There's there's a lot of fun stuff. Tune but, in to the Full Tilt Debbie show. And that's interesting with Oregon because I thought Nova Sad might get a shot. Anyway. Yeah. I'm happy seeing you guys happy. Okay. That can never be my hell. It's never hell when I'm here hanging out with you guys all night, every night. It's been honestly more than i could imagine i got off on the debbie show one time a mere two hours we will schedule you we are good sorry (laughs) it's gonna happen but uh will people enjoy nearly two hours and back-to-back weeks we're gonna find out hopefully you do i mean you guys can just turn it off halfway through if you really hate it Good. You know, we we stopped giving good advice probably about at the hour five mark, and the rest of it has just been spewing nonsense. So spewing nonsense is my favorite part of it. Well, this is just this is just what I don't get about when people are like, "Oh, your podcast is too long." It's like the podcast is as long as you choose to listen to it. So <laughs> realistically, if you want a one hour podcast, you can just listen to the podcast for an hour. I don't see it. What I don't see what harm is done if you maybe. Everything else is just bonus. Like I've never once in my life been upset at a podcast that's too long. Like I, I mean, I'm a I'm a band's plane listener, which has like seven hour episodes, and to me, it's like that's that's my dream length. But if you if I, if I was not that, I would be like, oh, you know, you know what's a bummer for me is a short podcast because now I have to like go through the time of being like I'm going for a walk. This podcast only twenty minutes. I have to add more to my queue. Like that adds more things to my day. Whereas if I have a two hour podcast, like that'll take me all the way. Don't even have to worry about it. Yeah. I have no issues with it either. 1.5 speed. Everybody, if you've hung around for this long, we appreciate you again. Leave a comment in the video. This has been a phenomenal time. If there's more content that you feel like you're not getting on the dynasty streets, because this is the dynasty podcast. And again, hashtag dynasty points, tag us in any discord you see me in on Twitter. All of us will get your question in. We'll get it answered like we did at the beginning of the show. The in-season content is a little weird for dynasty 
the off-season content. We're already planning it out. It's going to be a great time. The run of guests is once again going to be electric. Week 14, we're right before the playoffs. Can't wait to tie in with you guys. I think next week we're going to give some home league and league of record updates because there are major shifts happening. Me and you are playing in a death match for a playoff spot in the Full Tilt Dynasty Invitational this week. We are, yeah. The original, the first ever Full Tilt Dynasty Invitational. Um, So that'll be fun. Yeah, except I pulled an absolute Jacob move and traded Mike Evans and Josh Jacobs this morning, almost conceding already. Oh, in that league? Oh, did you? In a very oh, wow. Jacob like in F. Oh, good news for me. Yeah. So you, I've conceded. I don't have a second quarterback. I conceded. Um, oh, okay. Hit me up. I'm trying to move Christian McCaffrey. There you go. We're going to have some major updates. I'm going to update the full tilt discord leagues, the invitational, the home league and the league of record. We're going to go and run through some of those um, next week. Talk about some playoffs, how to handle losing and what next week's show is going to be what to do immediately after the playoffs have started, because that is when you rebuilders need to get to work trade deadline or not. So that's next week's show. Remember to check in on your loved ones. Remember that clear eyes and full hearts can never lose. And your best days are always spent till This is a great time. Good night, everybody. 